0: Now that true crime has become an obsessively popular genre, it is no surprise that when people find out we are forensic scientists, we are met with an outpouring of questions. Did you work that recent homicide? Yo, what does decomp smell like? You must love your job, huh? It's through questions like these that we have come to realize that you want more. I'm Bodine. And I'm Darby, and we are here to serve up the coffee talk version
1: of everything you need to know about the science, laws, and people behind the yellow tape. Welcome to the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. Coffee with a criminalist.
0: Hello, everyone. Hi, all. guys we have had a really long day in the lab today i think i was in there for like six hours straight uh so we are drinking some break room coffee a little pick me up this afternoon it is still delicious
1: it is (laughs) today is our first mini session and we're going to be using these sessions for two purposes one is a question and answer so we're really hoping people submit those questions you can submit your questions to the washoe county sheriff's office instagram page at at Washoe Sheriff, or you can also uh, message them on the Washoe County Sheriff's Office Facebook page as well. So please reach out to us, you guys. Yes, (laughs) we would love to answer your questions. Yeah. Uh, We're also gonna be using them as an opportunity to do mini case highlights, which will kind of be a taste of what's to come in our bigger episodes later in the season. Yeah,
0: so these are gonna be a little bit shorter, shooting for around 15, 20 minutes-ish. And the idea of doing uh, true crime cases on the podcast has been discussed kind of at length between Darby and I. Um, You know, we're in this really unique position in that our job really is to analyze evidence and then speak for that evidence at court. Um, Our job is not to report on cases. Uh, We have no judgments. We're not biased in any way. We're really just here to educate juries so that juries can make um, decisions on on verdicts in cases and the other thing that kind of came up for us when we were thinking about doing local cases was that you know these stories really belong to our neighbors and so this might strike a chord with some people and so we've been discussing you know how can we do this um, and in what way is the best way to move forward And uh, I'm reading right now, it's a book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It's about the Golden State Killer, because (laughs) what else does a forensic scientist have to do in their spare time but read more Um, true crime? But there was a quote in there that I think really struck a chord with me um, and is kind of the basis for how we've moved forward with um, these true crime episodes. And so the quote is from Jillian Flynn. In the foreword of this book and it says i love reading true crime but i've always been aware of the fact that as a reader i am actively choosing to be a consumer of someone else's tragedy so like any responsible consumer i try to be careful in the choices that i make we really kept this quote in mind We picked cases for this season, and we've been very strategic in the cases that we picked. We've only picked cases that could be utilized for educational purposes, um, and we do really hope that these victims are never forgotten and that we do them justice in using them for educational purposes. We do want to make sure that uh, you as our listeners are aware that during these mini sessions and case highlights, we will be discussing sensitive information that deal with the details of evidence and topics such as sexual assault and homicide. And so some of the information therein may not be suitable for all listeners, so listener discretion is advised.
1: Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about the Crystal Studman case, Crystal was a nine-year-old and was said to have stood out from the crowd, and she was had just competed in the Junior Miss Lake Tahoe pageant. She was also running for her fourth grade student body vice presidency. This case begins on March 19, 2000, when Crystal was with her mom at a complex, an apartment complex in Lake Tahoe. She was out playing with other kids. From the complex and she had been checking in with her mom throughout the day periodically and she was supposed to have checked in with her mom at 2 pm
0: but she never showed up yeah and this really urged crystal's mother to start looking for her and so when she started looking she was able to find crystal's bicycle and crystal's jacket but she did not find crystal and so well, this really began a massive manhunt for Crystal at the time. And during the initial initial search for Crystal, um, her mother found out that Crystal, along with a few other children, had been interacting or playing with a vehicle in the complex. And sometime during the search, there was a tip that came in from a motorist who was driving along U.S. Highway 50. And the motorist said that they saw somebody... Um, in a vehicle that was parked along this stretch of of highway and they were tossing something over the guardrail. Um, And interestingly enough, the description of this vehicle also matched the description of that vehicle that Crystal had been seen previously interacting with um, in the day. Uh, The next day, given that tip from the motorist, Law enforcement began searching that stretch of road, um, and they did actually recover Crystal's body, and she had been brutally murdered and sexually assaulted, and her body had been discarded on a stretch of road that was near Spooner Summit.
1: That vehicle that Crystal had been seen interacting with earlier belonged to a man by the name of Thomas Suria, who was a 19-year-old Boys and Girls Club employee. And during Crystal's mother's initial search efforts, she even knocked on Thomas's door and went inside searching for her daughter. And he even at the time offered to help search for Crystal. Given the matching description of the vehicles, Thomas now became law enforcement's main suspect. And within three hours of finding her body, he was arrested, his vehicle was seized, and it was brought back here for processing.
0: Examining vehicles is something that happens often here down in the crime lab. Um, We have a three-bay garage that we can do this in, and we even have two mechanical lifts that vehicles can be driven up onto and lifted up. So we can really do a thorough search of the top, the inside, the underneath, all of that. There are a few sections within the division that will utilize the bay for these vehicle exams. Uh, Here in the biology unit, when we look at vehicles, we're looking at them for a few things. The first being staining that is consistent with blood, semen, or saliva. And when we talk about staining that is consistent with blood, we're really talking about red-brown staining. And so you'll hear us reference red-brown staining quite often instead of saying blood stains. It's because that's how we reference them when we're working. And uh, when we're working in identifying these stains, we have some chemical tests that indicate to us the presence of these bodily fluids, like blood, semen, and saliva. And these tests are very quick and sensitive, but they don't actually confirm the presence of the fluid in question. And so during this exam for this case, they were looking at the vehicle for blood and the criminals at the time did identify red-brown staining and did take a portion of that staining from the vehicle uh, to the DNA section. The DNA indicated that this staining matched Crystal's DNA profile. Additionally,
1: swabs were collected from Crystal's body during autopsy and they were sent to our lab here for DNA analysis. The results from the sperm fraction of these body swabs, however, did not match Thomas. They did, however, provide information for another lead. Let's pause for a moment here and talk a little bit more about DNA. So DNA is a molecule that builds and maintains organisms. Simply what we like to say down here is that it's the building blocks to all life. Um, In forensics we look at a few very specific locations that allows us to distinguish individuals from each other.
0: And one of the neat things about DNA is that is how we inherit it. We get it from our parents and specifically we get half of our DNA from our mom and half from our dad. And there's a topic that we can discuss called forensic parentage and um, I think when I think of parentage, at least, I kind of think of it in its basic terms from, like, TV shows in the 90s, like Mori Povich or Montel Williams, where... You um, are not the father. Yeah, exactly. You are or are not the father. Um, but there's a little bit more that can be done with parentage and specifically in forensic parentage. And so... Um, because we know that we get half our dna from our mom and half from our dad really each of our profiles is a bit of a mosaic of both our parents dna profiles and so for an example we might have an unknown profile from a case where we don't have a suspect reference sample to compare it to so instead we could get reference samples from parents and then see if those parents might be the biological parent of the person who left this dna sample behind at a crime scene what's even more cool is that you can do the reverse so you can have a profile from an individual and see if maybe they are the child of an individual that might be your suspect. And so you can go parent-child or child-parent in this topic of forensic parentage. Um, during our training, we did this with our family's DNA profiles. I know I collected my mom and dad's and myself and my brothers, and I got to lay those profiles all out and see exactly how this topic works and where the, where the alleles came from that I inherited from my mom and dad and how I compared to my brother. Now stepping back into the case, we know that
1: those um, body swabs, the sperm fraction from those body swabs from Crystal did not match Thomas. However, when the criminalists at the time looked at it, they identified these classic mechanisms of parentage, which indicated to them that the person who left this staining behind was either a son of Thomas or potentially his biological father. This information then led law enforcement to further investigate Thomas's dad, Thomas Saria Senior. And since they share the same name, we're going to refer to them as Senior and Junior from now on. Um, they, when they did compare Senior's DNA profile to the sperm fraction of those body swabs, it did match.
0: And when law enforcement further looked into senior they also kind of looked into the relationship between senior and junior Um, and if you're interested there's actually quite a few kind of twisted and convoluted details and there was even a novel written about this and they coined them the father-son duo even
1: both men were charged in this case junior pled guilty at trial to his involvement saying that he had lured crystal home at his father's request he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and Senior was never sentenced in this case because he committed suicide during the trial.
0: This case did have a rather large impact on our community locally here. I think many of us are familiar with the AMBER Alert System This is an emergency messaging system that comes up on our cell phones, comes up on our TVs, uh, road signs and other data-enabled devices when law enforcement has identified a child that has been abducted and is in immediate danger. Um, Something that I learned through researching this case was that Locally, this is called the Crystal Child Abduction Alert Program and this was actually adopted by 17 counties in western Nevada and eastern California almost one year to the day that Crystal was abducted. Uh, The statistics for the AMBER Alert in our state are that there have been 33 alerts activated in the state of Nevada and this involved 46 children, 39 of those children were safely recovered. And six of them are believed to be in Mexico with non-custodial parents, and sadly, one child was not safely returned.
1: That's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for a trailer about next week's episode.
0: Bye, guys. Yeah, we know forensics is cool, and you guys find it super interesting, but, like, have you ever wondered where all this sciencing takes place? And with all this true crime happening, you would think that forensic scientists would be everywhere. But have you ever met one? And if not, why is that? We invite you into the world of forensics in northern Nevada. Learn about where the elusive forensic scientists hide out all day, what they do, how they get paid, who they provide services to, and chat with the folks who run the show.